Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, February 3rd. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. With the world's largest economy stalled because of the pandemic, does President Biden have the votes to push through a massive stimulus without full GOP support? A look at where the Senate now stands. Accused of inciting an insurrection at the U.S. Capitol building in January, the Senate trial of former President Trump looming as his defense starts to take shape. And with nearly 447,000 people now dead from COVID-19 here in the U.S., a look at the arguments for opening schools back up. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin in Washington, where the president continues pushing for his nearly $2 trillion relief package. The stalled American economy hanging in the balance on Tuesday, some forward progress. Senate Democrats package without Republican support, voting to launch a process approving Biden's sweeping rescue package. Edwin Piti has details on that strategy from Washington, D.C. Edwin, what can you tell us? Hi, Andrea. That's right. Since day one, President Biden's focus has been on delivering aid to millions of Americans. Now he's urging Senate Democrats to go on big on coronavirus relief, making an aggressive case in favor of his rescue plan. Republicans on Monday offered a slim-down plan with $618 billion price tag, but Biden and his team rejected it, arguing it's not big enough. Today, President Biden discussed the rescue plan with House Democrats over the phone, which was followed by a private Oval Office meeting with 11 Democratic senators, among them Majority Leader Senator Chuck Schumer, Bob Menendez, member of the Foreign Relations Committee, Patrick Leahy from Appropriations, and Bernie Sanders, member of the Budget Committee. Meanwhile, on the Senate floor, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said that it would be wrong to rush the process. Take a listen. The rushed budget process that will play out this week is exactly, exactly the wrong path toward making law. Senate Republicans will be ready and waiting with a host of amendments to improve the rushed procedural step that's being jammed through. We'll be getting senators on the record about whether taxpayers should fund checks for illegal immigrants whether Democrats should raise taxes on small businesses in the midst of this historic crisis, and whether generous federal funding should pour into school districts where the unions refuse to let schools open. And this is just a small taste. As the White House reaches for a bipartisan bill, Democrats are working with their narrow majority to move forward in approving Biden's bill, with or without the GOP support. Their goal is to have a COVID-19 relief plan approved by March when extra unemployment assistance and other pandemic aid expires. Despite the White House not having a current deal with the Republican senators, they continue to have private conversations that could result in a couple of amendments to the final text of the legislation. Andrea? Edwin, I do have a question for you. We understand that in a late-breaking move, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell have finally reached a deal on a power-sharing agreement in the Senate. What did they decide exactly? Yes, Andrea, after weeks of negotiations, there is a final agreement in the so-called 
organizing resolution for the 50-50 Senate, it means that now Democrats not only are majority but are also in control of the committees. Schumer said the Senate will pass the organizing resolution tomorrow. The power-sharing agreement is very important because Republicans still technically held committee gavels and were overseeing the confirmation process for President Joe Biden's nominees. After the announcement, new Democrat senators have been able to officially receive their committee assignments. Live in Washington, Andrea, back to you. Thank you, Edwin, for all those details. Meanwhile, as the Biden administration ramps up its first 100 days, the White House is announcing it will open an overflow facility in Texas for unaccompanied migrant children taken into custody at the U.S.-Mexico border. The Department of Health and Human Services will reopen the doors to a facility in Carrizo Springs capable of accommodating roughly 700 children. That capacity can be expanded if necessary. Meanwhile, movement on the cabinet front on Tuesday, Alejandro Mayorkas becoming the new Department of Homeland Security secretary. He was confirmed by the Senate in a very close vote, 56 to 43. Born in Cuba, Mayorkas is the first Latino and immigrant to lead that department. He is also the first Biden nominee to face a Republican filibuster on his way to confirmation. Mayorkas is expected to begin his tenure by rolling back Trump administration policies on immigration while dealing with the pandemic and some national security threats. And some more cabinet news. Pete Buttigieg is officially the new transportation secretary. The Senate confirmed the former Democratic presidential candidate just yesterday. That vote tally, 86 to 13. Buttigieg now becomes the first Senate-confirmed LGBTQ cabinet secretary. He is expected to play a central role in President Biden's push for a bipartisan infrastructure package. Less than a week now before former President Donald Trump's second impeachment trial, and we're getting a glimpse of the legal arguments his lawyers plan to make in his defense. The legal team filed a pretrial brief yesterday arguing that President Trump did not incite the January 6th riot. House impeachment managers formally declaring it was former President Donald Trump who is singularly responsible for the violent attack at the Capitol building. Trump engaged in high crimes and misdemeanors by inciting violence against the government of the United States. In the 80-page brief filed Tuesday, Democrats referencing Trump's own words just before the insurrection. Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. Also referencing these videos obtained by Just Security, showing the crowd responding to Trump in real time. Two hours later, Trump's defense team filed their pretrial briefs in their own 14-page response, writing, It is denied that the 45th president engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the United States, adding, The 45th president exercised his First Amendment right under the Constitution to express his belief that the election results were suspect. This is a very, very dangerous uh, road to take with respect to the First Amendment, putting at risk any a passionate political speaker, uh, which is um, really an, uh, against everything we believe in in this country. Some Democrats now worry this Trump trial will end like the last one. I'm very worried about going through this trial and having the punchline at the end being Trump acquitted again. 
And this second impeachment trial will begin next Tuesday. At least 17 GOP senators would have to join each and every Senate Democrat in order to convict Trump. That right now is looking unlikely. Now to the latest on the pandemic. COVID-19 deaths so far this year already reaching almost a third of those recorded in 2020. This as the urgency to speed up vaccinations grows. The UK now reporting another mutation and experts here pleading with Americans to cancel Super Bowl celebrations. Lorraine Gassides has the latest. Four and a half weeks into 2021 and COVID-19 has already produced more than 100,000 deaths in the U.S. And help can come soon enough. CVS and Walgreens gearing up to start vaccinations nationwide next week. In this first phase of the program, supply will be at only about 6,500 stores nationwide before expanding. The efforts to ramp up vaccinations now more critical than ever. UK health officials reporting their variant has now mutated again. It appears to be more resistant to vaccines. But whenever you have the evolution of mutants, you always have to keep an eye on them because they can get to the point where it may elude the mechanisms that you're trying to suppress it, such as with vaccines. Dr. Fauci warning Americans now is absolutely not the time for Super Bowl parties. The mayors of Tampa and Kansas City working together to spread awareness. I encourage everyone to celebrate in small groups instead of squeezing into a crowded bar. Order takeout from your favorite local restaurant. According to Dr. Fauci, in order for life to be back to some sort of normalcy, at least 70% of the population must be inoculated, and so far we are way behind. The CDC reporting roughly 2% of the population is fully inoculated. Some 26 million people have received one dose, and only about 6 million people have gotten both. And although the average of daily deaths continues to decline, the number is still very high. The CDC is now projecting that up to 534,000 deaths could happen by February 27th. The last forecast predicted 514,000 by February 20th. Back to you, Andrea. Thank you, Lorraine, for that report. Moving on now, another coronavirus news. Former presidential candidate Andrew Yang has tested positive. The entrepreneur who is currently running for mayor of New York City says he received the positive result after taking a COVID rapid test on Tuesday. Yang shared in a statement that he is experiencing mild symptoms and plans to quarantine. Otherwise, he says he is feeling well and is in good spirits. And a grim new marker of just how far the pandemic has spread amongst America's children. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, as of January 28th, more than 2.8 million children have tested positive for COVID-19. Notably, there was a 12% increase in cases among children over the last two weeks. The CDC says most children with COVID-19 have mild symptoms or have no symptoms at all. However, the agency says some children can get severely ill from COVID-19. They may even require hospitalization, intensive care, or a ventilator to help them breathe. Joining me now is Dr. Daria Long. She's an emergency medicine physician in Atlanta and a clinical assistant professor at the University of Tennessee. Welcome again to You News, Dr. Long. Good to see you, Andrea. 
So you just published a study examining two independent school districts in Georgia, looking at whether in-person schooling leads to more infections. Go ahead and talk to us about your study. What did you find exactly? Yeah, actually we did. And we looked at two school districts. One actually was in the South, one was in the Mid-Atlantic, where we tested every single student and teacher from August through the end of December. And what we learned was that this was not an easy process. We, we can't understate that, but we found that it was indeed possible to be back to in-person learning. If you followed, had very strict protocols, and especially if you were able to combine that with testing as we were able to do. Now, when an infection did occur in school, what was the most common source of the contagion? So that's the hard part. Contact tracing was a big challenge here and will be for all schools. Most of the time, often we didn't find a source. When we did, it was typically a family member or some other off-campus activity. When we did see cases come onto campus, and if it was a student or a teacher who was positive, 91% of the time, they did not transfer it to anyone else at all, um, which shows that our protocols were working. In that 9% that did transfer it, we could almost invariably point back to some violation in protocol to, again, really highlight how important these protocols are that schools need to be able to do, such as masking and distancing and quarantining and keeping small pots. Now, your study reached a similar conclusion to a CDC study of rural schools in Wisconsin, basically saying that children are safer in schools that follow these proper guidelines than out of school. But what about school children in urban areas? Are they safer in their schools? Yeah, so actually both of our schools were in urban areas, and we did find that. We found that the incidence of COVID in our, our students and our teachers was always highest after they were out on vacation after they came back from being in the community, whether it was summer break, fall break, Thanksgiving break. And our numbers were lowest when everybody was continually in school. We kind of talked about that first couple of tests were kind of like cleaning, cleaning the pool, cleaning the group of everyone. And then after that, you have much lower numbers that they stayed lower and much lower than the community when they were continuously in school. Another early debate at the onset of this pandemic concerned the severity of the virus in children. Your study found that of the positive cases in children, none required hospitalization. That's a good thing. Can you elaborate on those findings? Yeah, and, and this is one of the things that's a silver lining and also makes it challenging. So when we looked at who was asymptomatic, 97% of the children who were positive in the lower school were asymptomatic at the time of testing no signs of symptoms at all, versus around 48% asymptomatic in adults. So the younger they are, the more asymptomatic they are, which is good. It also means it can be harder to, to find out who is positive. Of course, as I said in the earlier segment, it doesn't uh, de-emphasize the fact that there are some people who could get severely ill from this, which is why we're saying you can go back to school safely if you follow these protocols, if you can do the testing. It's a, it's a very big caveat, but we've shown that you, you can in that case. And I guess that's the problem with so many children that perhaps are asymptomatic. Then they get close to a loved one, an elderly um, person in their family, and they can get them infected. So getting children back to school is one of the Biden administration's biggest priorities. What mm -hmm. needs to happen between now and then to make that happen? 
So one of the things we've talked about when we were running this system in August and September, many times we said we feel like our own little mini uh, public to health health department. And that is why this is incumbent upon policymakers to change that because we can't expect every school to do that. So we're coming up actually with a checklist of what schools need to do in terms of what of all the different protocols were the most cost effective. And then also a checklist for the government in terms of creating really centralized guidelines and also the government helping to make tests accessible and affordable and helping schools know how to best employ them. We're working on that right now to make sure that it's very clear because we want to make sure the government spends its money wisely. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Daria Long, for all your insights and also for all your work in the ER. Take care. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. At least 611 children are hoping to be reunited with their parents after the Trump administration separated them when they arrived in the U.S. Now their hope lies in a new announcement by President Joe Biden. That promise to create a special team to reunite families and victims of the so-called zero tolerance policy at the border. Grecia Lastra brings us that story. They separated us. Today, he is 15 years old. When he was separated from his father, he was only 12. He was left where we were taken, and I was sent to New York in a shelter. This teenager, who at the request of his lawyers has his face covered, and who he will call Aiden to protect his identity, was one of the more than 3,000 children who lived the horror of being separated from their parents while coming to the United States across the southern border. It's been three years since then, and he still cannot get over it. I'm very sad because they separated me from a person I love. A sadness he has become accustomed to living with. I become more patient and I'm understanding more the things that adults are saying about life. He matured suddenly and according to his lawyer, he is stronger thanks to the psychological therapy he has been receiving for a few months. In the beginning he was very shy, he didn't like to talk about what happened. Now, even though it hurts, he is able to talk more about what happened at the border. The announcement from the Biden administration of its intention to create a special team to reunite separated families fueled the hopes of Aiden, who pleads for his case to be prioritized. He speaks directly to President Biden about what his father is going through in Guatemala after being deported and what he'd like from the administration. My dad's life is at risk, and I don't want anything to happen to him. To do everything possible so that he comes quickly and doesn't leave us. The only doubt I have about that is that the legal challenges in the sense of how are they going to return them. 
Those are questions that everybody is asking. Fortunately, Aiden talks regularly with his dad, something many children whose fathers were deported and have not been located haven't been able to do. Some have even been placed in adoption. Aiden wants to believe that his father is much closer so he can hug him so he can make plans. What I have in mind is to do everything I can to get my dad back, to get back together and continue studying, to get a good job and help my family in Guatemala. Reported by Angelica Gonzalez, this is Grecia Lasser reported for U News. A harrowing rescue along the border is just the latest sign of the risk for those making the dangerous crossing. Paulina Gomez brings us the story of this dramatic recent rescue. This little girl almost drowned in the Rio Bravo currents, but was saved by migration agents and Mexican soldiers. Her terrified cries while trying to stay afloat alerted them. The families live with children in their arms. We have seen them cross with kids, newborn babies. The people she was traveling with managed to escape, leaving her behind, adrift in Ciudad Acuña, Coahuila, the new pet stop for migrants. Here in the city of Acuña, it is way too easy for the migrants to say, let's go through the border, because the river waters seem calm. But they are very treacherous. People have even died. But the migrants don't know that. It is believed that the adults who traveled with the girls somehow managed to cross to the neighboring town on the American side, Del Rio, Texas. Migration authorities changed her into dry clothes and found her birth certificate in a plastic bag. It was issued in Chile in 2018. We realized that her family or the people traveling with her were taking precautions and safety measures. Pictures show her after being rescued. Another shows her in the arms of a migration agent and then taken to a shelter as international protection has been granted to her. By a new law, she must be in a shelter under the local state protection office, DIF, while they get in contact with relatives, but refuge must be granted or to reintegrate her with her family. According to activists for migrant children's rights, from January to October 2020, in Mexico, 9,000 minor migrants were detained. Half of them came accompanied, the rest by themselves. In order for her to spend the less time possible in shelters and amid bureaucratic procedures, authorities and Acuña Coahuila Society are trying to track the parents of this little migrant. Paulina Gomez Bulciner in Mexico City, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.